Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit. Even on evenings and weekends, you can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's how healthier happens together. Services vary by location. Prescriptions can be obtained at pharmacy of choice. Visit MinuteClinic.com for details. You're finally at that hot new spot, the one your friends keep raving about, sitting across from your date. It's going... Another round? Really well. And that dish you've been dying to try, oh, it's headed your way. You can smell it, hear it sizzling fresh off that skillet as it comes closer, closer, and served. Go ahead, enjoy. After your phone sneaks a bite first. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. You know, so many people that I talk to, I literally have no clue what we're going to talk about. Little behind the curtain action here. This podcast is never scripted, never planned, never written out, never designed to be something ahead of time. It is what it is. When I go into these conversations with people, I just enjoy the moment. And questions and commentary and our discussion just flows from there. It's free to be what it needs to be in the moments that we're talking to each other. Today, I was happy to have a moment with Kimberly Ransom. Kimberly's from Pittsburgh area, where she has several things she's done, but most notably that we talked about was her gymnastics business and running that and being a light for others in the gymnastics business who are thinking of opening their own gymnastics boxes or who have done it already. It's an industry that I don't know a lot about and so I went into the conversation really wanting to dive into the intricacies of it and then exploring where that might lead. All I know is that I met a wonderful person, and uh, Kimberly, somebody I think you guys are going to really enjoy where the conversation led, and you'll learn a lot about the gymnastics world, a world that I think that I'm really only exposed to during the Olympics, and I think that's true for a lot of people. So sit back, relax, and listen to a very informative conversation from Kimberly Ransom. any level of like parents who hover quite a bit over their children or uh you know they're very highly involved maybe more than is what is necessary particularly (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's see how do we put this delicately um yes (laughs) so we have learned over time to build in uh mechanisms to guard against that (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to a disruptive (laughs) level for example we had to build ourselves a parent room. Some some parents call it the parent jail. The parent the jail. However, <laughs> before we had the parent jail or the fishbowl or whatever you'd like to call it, <laughs> we would have parents 
unable to control themselves and run out on the floor when little Sally would wander off in the corner or, (laughs) you know, you get the, we've had everything under the sun, um, but it, we needed some sort of a physical barrier that parents could see to let them know what was off limits. Um, So we do, we do have some, some things built in our gym too. (laughs) prevent hovering parents from hovering too much that was a very nice answer is very pc i would yeah. say as much as can be <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well people um, are you know parents they can and, and a lot of sports are like that you know parents become very engrossed into what their children are doing um but i was just i'm interested in how that plays out in different sports and different arenas you know for that uh, with people, because, you know, it's it's something, especially, I think, on the outside, as somebody who has not been around the gymnastics world, you kind of think of this, you see these little kids, you know, you see Olympics, that's all most outside people, they see all Olympics and gymnastics. And they hear these stories about, you know, uh, children going off to faraway places to train and become an Olympian and the parents and all, you know, you hear all these kind of wild things, you know? yeah. God, sometimes media just does not serve us well because, right. I mean, the amount of people that actually follow that path in gymnastics is like point zero 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 zero. It's really that, tiny, right? That's not the real world. You know, in the real world, people are coming to gyms like mine, you know, where they're coming once a week or twice a week. Right. Um, it's, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily seeing parents that are, uh, you know, hovering a ton, but I will definitely say that there's a difference between gymnastics parents and weightlifting parents. Hmm. Um, and What's I think the difference? there's the, the difference is that I feel like their intentions are different. I, <laughs> I do. And I might get in so much trouble for saying, no, okay, let's go for it. <laughs> but now that, now that we're dishing the dirt, yeah, um, we're spilling some tea. We totally are. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there, you know, we have the dads that will come back or the moms if they care enough, you know, they'll come and they will sit near a platform while their kid is lifting and being coached. And they don't say a word. Mm-hmm. They genuinely just want to watch and they think it's fascinating and they're listening. And sometimes they're learning for themselves because they're still right. going to the LA fitnesses or whatever. And they're still trying to learn how to squat better. Right. Um. So the weightlifting parents are supportive, but I don't feel like we have a problem with people crossing lines so much. There are um, very respected boundaries, and I I just don't get the feeling that we have a huge parent problem in mm-hmm. weightlifting. Knock on wood, and I hope my words don't come back to bite me. <laughs> In gymnastics, it might just be because the sheer statistics, we just have more athletes. Um, There are more gymnasts than weightlifters. It's just a bigger sport. It is what it is. Um, So you get a bigger cross-section of personalities to manage. And that's really what it is. You're managing the parents just as much as you are managing (laughs) kids. No, it's, you know. I've heard of it. It's the nature of of the business. We're teaching the child, but the parents are paying us. So we have two customers, you know, and you have to pay attention to both groups of people. So totally, you have to keep them both happy. But at the same time, you know, the coaches are the ones that have spent time learning the material, spending 
hours and hours learning how to communicate with groups of children. Like, mom, we got this. I promise we can handle, yeah. you know, we can handle a bathroom accident. We can handle somebody running off. We can even handle it repetitively. We just need some mm-hmm. time and some space to get to know your child and, you know, build a relationship with your child. But it's really hard to do that when a parent is constantly stepping in and kind of disrupting the flow of building that relationship. So it's, it's that's, that's the reality of what we deal with, you know? So it's yeah. um, management on both ends and just making sure it's like a trying, you know, yes. like the parent, the kid and the coach. And it is. I feel like, you know, we're saying about the weightlifting parents are not, it just more, maybe just, they're not interrupting or more um, intrusive that to me, that makes sense. It also makes sense on a level that maybe it's something they feel like they can do themselves on some level. Whereas maybe on, on some level with the gymnastics are like, I'm not flipping out here. I'm not doing all these things. I can't do these things with my body. They're think I don't know. Or there's maybe a competitive element that they're like, okay, this is like, I've seen this, like just the comp, I want my kid to be gr- a great competitor yeah I don't know like maybe they don't see that competitive aspect of the weightlifting side well it's just recreational so maybe the stakes aren't as high to them and they're like eh you know I don't know I'm just I'm just throwing out some things you know there are so many layers and so many moving parts to it and um gymnastics clubs in the whole industry it's really fascinating it is um what's the mindset what's the psychology behind gymnastics people are in it the continual participation in it what do you have to have up here in order to be involved in it on a long-term basis oh gosh um well I mean when you consider that most people are very young when they get involved in gymnastics uh the the burnout rate is so high by the time you become a senior in high school Mm. you know they they really make a big deal in gymnastics about senior night and your senior night at states and your senior year because the numbers dwindle by the time a child turns 18 and that's kind Mm. of that's like our age out period basically right at that point you decide are you going to coach are you going to be involved in gymnastics are you going to judge like are you done what are you doing with your life are you moving on Um, whereas, you know, other sports like weightlifting, you can be involved until you can't move a barbell anymore or until you can't run anymore until you can't go outside. But, um, it's so intense that the burnout rate by the time you hit 18 is, is just so high. I think the trick nowadays is to, uh, involve your child in other activities, recreation, right? Right. If you're going to compete gymnastics, you need to have a realistic mind frame that you're probably not going to be competitive in any other sport just because there's only 24 hours in a day. And yeah. to really master something, you know, what's that rule? 10,000 hours spent right. on something. But I'm glad. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many trains of thought out there about having kids specialize versus not specializing. And there's merit to both. And my belief is that you really have to have a balance because because that burnout rate is so high if they are only doing gymnastics from age four to 13, the chances of them quitting at age 14 is so much higher than, you know, had they split their time. So there's a big movement right now in gymnastics kind of moving away from the traditional 
full-time job of training to gain a scholarship or an Olympic spot. Mm -hmm. There's a a new sister kind of uh, system in USAG called the Excel track. And that's, that is built for kids that want to compete, but only practice six hours a week, 10 hours a week, Uh, maybe 15 hours a week. A lot of people are moving over there for that exact reason, you know, to give their kids a balance. Um, and that was really built to try and help gymnastics retention. That was the sole purpose when they designed it. Um, I don't know if it has fulfilled its intention because mm-hmm. so many kids will burn out at level 10 and hop over to Excel now that it's kind of backfired in a way because ah. now Excel is just filled with those high level kids <laughs> that have burnout out but are just trying to yeah. hang in there to get their senior night you know but and then they're competing with these kids that are really using it for their sole purpose of yeah. a recreational competitive experience and it's kind of become a hodgepodge but I love the idea and I love the intention behind it um I love that idea. I think it's a great, great idea. I I am a huge proponent of non-specialization. I totally understand a time commitment. I mean, I was a competitive athlete. High school was a scholarship track and field athlete in college. I mean, I I went through the whole thing. And I tell you, one of the things I missed the most when I was a competitive athlete in college, I missed doing other sports because I played sports, different sports throughout high school. I wasn't, track just happened to be the one I got a scholarship in, but I was, I was pretty decent in the other sports that I played too. And I liked moving from different sports throughout the year. I enjoyed that. And I think once that left me, I, it wasn't as fun for me. It became very regimented, like a job in college. Now, I'm thinking that's probably part of it becomes so regimented when you're so young in gymnastics doing that. But yeah. is it also, is there, is there an intensity aspect to it as well that makes the burnout high, like the intensity of practices and things of that nature? Yeah. And a lot of times these kids are hitting injuries at a point where their body is changing anyway. Yeah. So they might have a couple things that they're dealing with. You know, when one athlete quits, they tend to go in herds. Because it's not as fun to be at practice anymore. And unless that child is just a really intrinsically motivated kid by nature anyway, it makes yeah. it so much harder to just be motivated when you're coming to practice that much, but your your best friend has left the team or whatever. Um, coupled with aching joints, sprained ankles, you know, common ailments of of a pounding sport. And then you have all these hormones that are sneaking up at a really inconvenient time when you're trying to peak your career, you know, you're laying so much on these athletes that, um, you know, they make it to their senior year. They deserve all the praise in the world. They deserve it all. Now, what about like uh, college gymnastics? I mean, I do see that you know, obviously there's there's college gymnastics programs at pretty high levels. Are those people going to those programs? Is it, it it's competitive, but are they, is it filled with people who are maybe not Olympic level athletes or are there Olympic level athletes going into college programs? They're just doing it because they like to do it type of thing. Yeah, I think I'm not super well versed in, um, in the college world. My mm-hmm. perception of it is kind of twofold. You know, there are a <laughs> lot of, a lot of elite level athletes that don't, you know, because what we take four or five people to the Olympics now, like there are right. a lot of elite level athletes that tested elite had a great elite career, but didn't make it to the international 
Simone Biles level. Well, what right. are they going to do now? So there are a ton of those girls and, and boys. And mm-hmm. so the colleges kind of have their pick of the litter of, of those <laughs> people. But then there are a lot of level 10s and level 9s um, that are only doing gymnastics for the purpose of achieving a college scholarship. They knew from day one they were never going to be elite or make it to the Olympic level. So you kind of have those two groups of people. I see. Um, so college college gymnastics is amazing. I think it's so much more entertaining most of the yeah. time to watch than, <laughs> than the international circuit that's out there. Um, seems more fun. Seems like oh my gosh! Fun. Like I watched it on ESPN the other day. And I was like, this seems like a lot of fun. It's like a rah rah component. Yeah, you know? it's so creative. There's room for personality. Right. It's entertaining, and you know what you don't realize is that a lot of those meets that you see on TV, mm-hmm. well, those are marketing interns from the same college that are trying to show off their skills. You know, to the marketing department. <laughs> look, look what kind of event they organized. Yeah. It's so fun. They'll have all sorts of pre shows. They bring in little kids from the local community clubs around to do shows. Um, you know, they'll have parades. They have current music. Like, it's like a party. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, college gymnastics is super fun. So fun. Oh, my gosh. It seems like the opposite of, like, when I was track and field. Like, high school track and field was amazingly fun. College track and field was, like, a job very boring. <laughs> and it was, like, I feel like it's, like, when you watch gymnastics international competitions and Olympics, it seems way too serious. It seems yeah. extreme. There's, like, lots of crying going on, all this drama. It's, like, a big drama, soap opera. And college gymnastics is, like, it's the fun party time. Let's hang out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's so much yeah. cheering going on. It's hilarious. Yeah. We actually have tried. It's it's funny because you take one step down and you go down to the local club level, which is what we are. And I think all of us, a lot of us, have taken a page from college gymnastics and we're trying now to get our kids to be pumped up at meets. And um, right. we want that atmosphere in our gym. So we're trying to follow the college gymnastics side and and make it more fun for the kids, you know, to help the kids stay in the sport longer, too. I, I I love it. I think it's really exciting. Um, I wanted to ask you, it seems like, again, just from the outside, maybe it's a media thing, it seems like women's gymnastics is more popular than men's or boys' gymnastics. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, I, it's actually, it's very sad because um, I know locally there have been a couple clubs pop up with men's programs recently. Mm-hmm. But we actually tried to start a men's program. It's harder than you think because you mm. have to invest a lot of money in boys' equipment up front, you know, that you can't just share with the okay. girls. Like girls, right. girls don't use rings. We don't use parallel bars. Um, so it's an investment for clubs that might already not be making money. Because mm-hmm. remember, people usually open a club to teach cartwheels and back handsprings, not because they want to make money or they know how to make money. Yeah. So. Uh, it takes it's a big ask of people to invest in all of this equipment that's only going to get used for 10 or 20 hours a week and isn't going to generate that much income and then you layer on top of it there aren't that many boys programs around to even compete with mm-hmm. layer on top of that you think it's hard to get girls to do weightlifting wait <laughs> until you go hunting like raise your hand if you want to put your son in gymnastics well it's not there aren't that many people that are raising their hand anymore so is it a gender issue or is it like what what is that I, i'm curious i've always been curious about that 
Well, I will tell you that we have offered boys gymnastics and gotten crickets. Then we have offered ninja warrior classes and had <laughs> six classes filled in a month. So I don't know what it is, but um, there's definitely an education piece that has to be fulfilled yeah. if you're going to have a boys gymnastics team. Um, if you're one of the lucky people out there who has a program and you just get it going and it's snowballing, you know, it's it's a community thing. One boy goes to school, says, this is what I'm doing. The yeah. parents start talking and then it's easier. But as a whole, if you slap on your schedule a boys gymnastics class and you click your little button that says, OK, guys, come and roll with me now and you wait for it, you're going to get crickets. You have to a, do some work. Is, is it a parental? It's OK. Is it a parental thing? It's like, is it? maybe fathers not encouraging their sons to do it? Or is it just societal, like men? It, well, gymnastics seems like a more female-driven based thing. Because uh, it's always like um, baffled me, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of strength in gymnastics. There's a lot, there's, there's, there's a lot of majesty, but also strength in it as well. And But I also think it's, I've been, I love podcasts. Besides having my own, I love listening to other people's. There's one on NPR on Hidden Brain, and it's basically about how men get their sensitivity gets tries to get society tries to edit out sensitivity in men as they grow older and boys, and essentially how like hey boys when they're younger have very close relationships with other boys and very loving and but then a lot of times society would try to edit out those things like oh you're acting more like a girl. When it's yeah. a man has just as much emotion as a woman and can be just as sensitive, but it's how we see it. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to make this connection, but sometimes I feel like if a sport or an activity is perceived to be a certain way or sent, perceived to be this is what this gender does, then the other gender goes, see, we don't do that. We don't, we don't, we don't play that sport type of thing. And I just yeah. always wonder that with gymnastics. I'm like, well, what's the big deal? Like, is there something wrong for men to flip and jump and, you know, have a floor routine, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know if it's just a, an old cultural thing, or if it's even regionally, if it changes regionally. Mm. Um, that's something I've thought about, because there are a lot of youth leagues where we live. Um, our school district where a gym is located has one of the highest, if not the highest NFL, uh, feeder system per capita mm. in the country um so the football leagues around here the wrestling leagues the baseball you know they're so prevalent and they have mm -hmm. their own little strength and conditioning systems i think gymnastics just gets overlooked um right but i mean for sure we'll have moms bring in little boys for gymnastics and inquire about classes far more than any fathers will call asking about <laughs> gymnastics for their son like I could probably exactly. count the count the times that that's happened on one hand, um, but I know my friend. She's an hour from our gym. They have a fantastic boys team. That's, so, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I hate to pinpoint it exactly. It's hard to know gender, but yeah. yeah, in our area, I think it's more regionally affected just by all the other activities that are offered, but. I don't Do you know if that's different in Europe, if the boys' participation is different in Europe than it is in the United States for gymnastics? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, in, 
in my experience, I, I'm just, which is limited, but um, the facilities are generally built out for women. Like the amount mm -hmm. of square footage dedicated to women's gymnastics is probably 90% to 10%. Um, oh, wow. So I'm, I don't think that it's a better situation in Europe per se. I, I think that there are countries where it's worked into the school curriculum and mm. in those countries, they're definitely producing more male gymnastics, but we for sure don't have that in our schools. And I don't, to my knowledge, Europe isn't doing any, they're not cranking okay. out male gymnasts. Yeah. I've always wondered these things. See, when I came across your profile, it's like, oh, I have so many things to ask. <laughs> so many, I'm just curious about what people do. And then I'm like, and I get into it with them about, oh, you know, what about this versus that? And then it just starts popping in my mind. What about men versus women? You know, it just becomes a whole rabbit hole for me as we can continue to do things. But I wanted to know, as you said, a lot of clubs struggle maybe to make money. What is the key to having financial success and with the gymnastics club that maybe other people haven't figured out yet? Um, well, I think, you know, a, a big difference seems in levels of success for clubs seem to be systems that people either do or don't implement. And even something so basic as just knowing how to read basic financials mm -hmm. And cash flow management and not just managing <clears throat> their money based off what they have in their checking account. <laughs> um, no, we, we laugh, but we like, totally we've all true. done it, you know, that's know. where we all start. So just taking the time to understand that we don't know what we don't know. Um, but nowadays, you know, we've kind of figured out the tricks, you know, um, recurring revenue is a biggie, mm -hmm. figuring out. How, which programs we're offering are profitable and which ones are actually costing us money. Sure. That's a huge <clears throat> thing that I see in gymnastics. You know, we all love to crank out those competitive gymnasts, put them in glitzy leotards, put them out on a floor, you know, watch the scores go up. And it's a super fun experience, but that is the most expensive program you can run in your gym is a competitive right. team. And I don't think most gyms actually sit down to look at the numbers to understand how much it costs them to have one competitive gymnast in their gym. What does that cost you? Right. Um, and when you add that all up, sometimes, you know, you're shocked. Well, this is, we're actually losing money every month hosting this team in our gym, but right. emotionally they can't get rid of it. They can't right. They right. refuse to just stop the bleeding. Um, so, I mean, in my mind, that's it. There are really basic things that lots of gym owners don't spend the time to learn. Um, and it's not rocket science. You know, we're not curing cancer here. We're just doing gymnastics and we're providing yeah. a service for somebody. But when you don't take the time to learn basic business financials and how to actually manage what you're charging money for, mm -hmm. um, then you're just flying by the seat of your pants, you know. You it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. So I'm going into it thinking... Maybe there's some different thing related to gymnastics, but um, I'm not sure what you looked on my profile and stuff, but part of my consulting and management business for spa fitness and lifestyle amenities is we do um, like five-year performers, you know, we do um, operating plans for people. And so we're teaching business owners literally, hey, here's the <clears throat> um, administrative fees, here's payroll tax, here's understanding 
your you know revenue your expenses all like literally everything from the ground up and say hey if you want to be able to cover these costs this is the revenue you're going to have to produce this is how many memberships you're going to have to have per month everything and i always find that a lot of owners of any of these amenities they they have passion they have a tremendous passion and then they open something and then they're reverse running the business I opened it, and now I have to figure out how to actually do this. Miss Kimberly. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Awesome. I'm good. Good. Hold on here. All right. Now we're seeing each other. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for um, finding me. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, no problem. Well, I I tend to find a lot of people because I enjoy networking uh, quite a bit, and uh, I've been doing it for a really long time. And I just like the stories of other people and what they're up to in their life. So um, I feel the same. That's my favorite part of podcasting. The the weeks where I get to interview other people by far are so much better than the ones when I'm by myself. So tell me a little bit about your podcast. I read up a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about it. So I started the podcast because I was involved in a local sort of uh business education group for our borough here in Pittsburgh. And I realized sort of just the lack of very basic business education. Um, Mm -hmm. The the council president was sort of on a mission to help educate some community members because she was trying to like uh, just build up the community to buy all these properties that the county has open yada, yada. But I thought, you know, let's back up a minute because, you know, you're expecting um, these huge initiatives to come out of these community members, but they don't even have the basic education. Um, So I figured what's one, what's something that I could do that would be accessible to everybody while podcasting, you know, that's something that I can offer free information, low barrier. Everybody has an iPhone, a smartphone nowadays. So there's no Mm -hmm. reason that everybody can't access education. So that was kind of why I started. And then I figured, let me do some lessons and then I'll alternate it with interviews of other people that maybe would show them like, hey, I have that passion too. Or, hey, you started from here. Well, I'm there also. So if you can do it, I can do it. Right, Um, right. So that's it. So what's been the, so two parts here. What has been the most challenging and the most rewarding part of doing your podcast? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I guess, I mean, the most challenging part for sure is just um, the amount of preparation and the time that I spend on it. I guess I wasn't wasn't prepared for the amount of time that I would need to spend on it to really make it like a high quality um, production and just not something that melds into the mix of the bazillions other podcasts that are already Mm -hmm. out there. Um, so learning how to get it off the ground, planning the episodes, contacting guests, um, trying to come up with a different angle for each interview and just making each episode unique. That's been challenging, but 
I love it because then I get feedback from people that I had no idea were even paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's rewarding. You know, you you realize like, hey, other people are actually paying attention and maybe this is useful. <laughs> yeah. The, and how, how long have you been at it so far? I think we started in May or June, if I remember correctly. We just we just publish once a week. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So I, I, I came across your profile and, and one um, just seemed very uh, uplifting, kind of upbeat type of person, it seems <laughs> like. And uh, it seems like you're involved in, vari- in a variety of things. So I wanted to kind of touch on those different things that you're doing. Um, so I think, you know, my audience always enjoys stories of what people are doing in their life and how that has kind of manifested itself in just their everyday living. And things of that nature. So you're in Pittsburgh, which yeah. uh, I have a big familiarity with. Although we're on the opposite side of the country, I'm in Washington State. I have family in Pittsburgh. Do you? So yeah, my brother-in-law lives there. I'm not sure. It's like North Pittsburgh, I think, ish area. Yeah. And yeah. so I've been there many times, and uh, like summertime primarily. I like yeah. going in the summer. Um, so what brought you to Pittsburgh, or have you always been in Pennsylvania? No, I'm from Indiana, actually. Indiana, Um, okay. Yes, I came out here almost 15 years ago. Uh, I just graduated from undergrad, and I was working for a company that was closing down. And most people from rural Indiana, they'll either move to Indianapolis or Chicago. And I just doesn't, neither one of those really floated my boat. So I thought, Mm -hmm. well, the next closest place that I know people would be Pittsburgh. So let me just try this for a year and then the here rest you is are. <laughs> there you are. You're still there, right? Still here. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What do you love the most about Pittsburgh? What What have you enjoyed that's really kept you there, besides your businesses and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the cool, physically, the landscaping here is amazing. There's a lot of history, um, and I I have an interest in some parts of history, so it's just really cool to see, you know, all the old steel stuff and. You just really absorb all the old kind of cultural parts of how the city used to be when it was booming. Mm-hmm. And that stuff fascinates me. Um, but I, I also think there's more opportunity here than a lot of people realize. So Pittsburgh has been a really easy place for me to grow, um, both professionally and personally. And I, I feel like there's more opportunity here than there was in Indiana, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also might just be because I'm in a city now and I was in a small town then, but yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. So <laughs> I saw that you have, uh, well, what the first thing that kind of attracted me to your site is I saw this, um, gymnastics, uh, business that you have. Um, and I thought, oh, that's interesting to me. Uh, be interested to learn a little bit more about what that is and what was the motivation behind it? Um, well, gymnastics, there's a saying, I guess, in the gym world, once a gym rat, always a gym rat. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in gymnastics. So that was my sport when I was young. Uh, When I went through college, and even as a young adult, uh, kind of going through my first professional job experiences, I was always a part time coach. So I never let that go. Um, even when I traveled abroad in my early 20s throughout school, you know, I still volunteer coached. Um, I, I coached for a Dutch gymnastics gym. Woo, sorry about that. I coached for a, uh, a Dutch gymnastics program um, 
overseas. I coached for a little gym in the UK at one point. Um, so I've always kept my fingers in it. And then I realized, you know, I might, can I turn this into a full-time opportunity because I'm really not digging my nine to five. This is not me. I let me just try this once. So it just seemed like a natural step in my career. Once you coach for so long, you watch everybody else, you figure, you know, I could do this just as well as you, or um, let me try this a little differently and see if I have more success. You know, it's just, if you're that kind of person, then it just takes you there naturally. So I opened my first program out of somebody else's uh, cheerleading gym. They were nice enough to lend me some money to buy some equipment. Once I outgrew that space, I moved into my own, my own uh, gymnastic space outgrew that one, moved again, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I hit a point where I, I thought, hey, I'm doing gymnastics really well, but I can see that I have no idea what I'm doing business-wise. Uh-huh. Uh, I should probably make some decisions here. So I realized I was, I was in a lease that wasn't going to allow me to expand. I couldn't get out of it. I realized I had nothing saved. I had no plan for the future. So I decided to close while I was ahead, and I went back to school. So I made the the crazy decision to open and then I made the crazy decision to close. And um, and then I reopened again after I graduated from school and realized, yes, this is really what I want to do with my life. But let me do this better round two. So that's where I am now. Gym number two. So the school, uh, where did you go to school and what was um, what did you learn the most in your time while being in school there? So I went to, well, let's see. So I, I was a career student for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. My, un- my, my undergrad was actually in pre-law. Um, so at one point I thought I wanted to go to law school and then I, I thought better of it and I decided to start. <laughs> thought better of it, right? I thought better of it. I changed my mind. <laughs> um, so I ended up getting my first graduate degree in uh leadership and organizational transformation which was a whole a whole lot of words yeah it was so confusing that I don't think the school knew what it was and they ended it after the first year (laughs) when when I was going through it (laughs) wow so I think the intention behind it was to provide students with an education of business consulting HR management something of a hybrid so it's basically like a a knockoff industrial psychology degree is is my my interpretation so but I learned about group dynamics and how to look at group psychology and you know it was a good baseline some sort of an education so I took that (laughs) (laughs) some sort of an education some sort of a thing yeah Um, but I was still coaching part-time, and I remember my thesis was all about gymnastics at that time and business in gymnastics. Um, I was working for an industrial psychology firm at that time, mm-hmm. and there came a point where I got a less-than-stellar review, and I thought, hey, I think I'm done here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, gonna ch- I'm checking out now. I think, I think it's time to do this for real. So when I... Um, decided that I wanted to really get serious about gymnastics, I did go back to school for exercise science. So I actually have two graduate degrees. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was a, I feel like a very well-rounded person because I have a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. No, so 
the exercise science degree, so you wanted to have a better understanding of kind of the the science behind the human body and how things work, chronic adaptations, acute exactly. adaptations, all that uh, related. And how has that helped you, do you think, in your business? Because you went back, you said, kind of get the business aspect of it. What was the push towards exercise science after that? Well, I, th I thought there was a lack of expertise in the local gymnastics economy. I'll put it that way. I totally get that. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I, I felt like there was room for an expert in the area to really provide technical and up-to-date and just new exercise education and um, provide that to the gymnastics industry because on the whole, the sport of gymnastics until the past five, six, seven years has been very led by the dinosaurs and they're... Right has not been a lot of room for new technology, new information, um, new ideas, and not to go off on a tangent, but I think that it, you know, we've seen that in the news the past couple years with all of the, you know, I think the culture of old school gymnastics has really been exposed. Like the scandals and all those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and it, I mean, it, it permeates so deep. It goes so much beyond what has been in the news. Um, so I'll just say that there was definitely room for someone to come in with better technical expertise in the sport. And I wanted that to be me. So that's why I went back to right. school. What is it with the, so, no, I get what you're saying. So the kind of the old dinosaur mentality, was there resistance against science behind gymnastics and the human body or what yeah. was the what was the understanding that is just this is how we do things and this is how we're is that kind of what we're looking at we were looking at yeah it's it's shifting and there are a lot of people in the industry now that I think were having the same thoughts and feelings at the same time and I I have been watching them from afar you know there are some great people who were going back to school to get their PhDs to do the exact same thing when I was, and they have really taken it and run and done fantastic things for the gymnastics industry. So it is changing for the better right now. Um, I found once I really got into it on my, you know, into my second gym that, hey, I love gymnastics and I love the detail and the body shaping and I love bringing in new science to this old sport. But actually, I love the business part more. Interesting. And I didn't expect that at all. But mm. once I really got into this gym and I made a commitment to myself to make this pay for itself and feed my family, um, which is also not common amongst gymnastics mm. owners, uh, I found that I loved it. And I really wanted to hone in on that. So that's what I've been doing the past couple of years. So what is the... The science that I want to dive deeper in that. What's the science specifically that has been introduced into, or the new techniques that's been introduced into gymnastics coaching or in the gyms for that? Um. Well, I'm. I mean, I don't. I don't know if I can speak to the exact science. I have a couple streams of thought, but I might mm -hmm. be biased. Um, young blood and new blood. Um, people coming into the industry, younger coaches that have a bigger breadth of experience um, in other sports has really helped gymnastics mm. because uh, it used to be that, you know, we specialize these kids so much that we were only 
they were only allowed to do gymnastics and these coaches were only involved in gymnastics. Well, now we have coaches coming in that have are coming from other industries. They have also um, been involved in Olympic weightlifting. Mm-hmm. They've been involved in bodybuilding. They've been runners. They've been track coaches. They're, they're just coming from everywhere now. Um, so getting more experience to in the table, you know, in the discussion, that's been ginormous for the industry. Um, but also I think there's just a more open-minded culture now. People are willing to listen. People are, coaches are willing to consider other ideas. Coaches are collaborating more now. So um, there, there are a few awesome PhDs out there that have really spent a lot of time in the gymnastics industry, giving lectures and making connections and collaborating. Um, but a lot of it, I will say, and this is my bias, uh, we're getting a lot of good crossover now with Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's coming, and I've been super blessed to be on the forefront of that, and I, I love it. But um, other than that, I don't know about the exact science that has come in and made a shift. But to me, it's been more about mentality and the people that are involved in the industry now. Well, talk to me more about the Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics. I'm fascinated by the cross-section of the two, and what do you, where do you see that going? Oh, gosh. Well, I hope it explodes. Um, I will tell you that I'm involved with Olympic weightlifting. Uh, I'm a national referee. I am a coach of a, a super talented athlete right now, um, a national-level athlete, and a competitor. I'm a mediocre competitor myself. <laughs> um but it's, it's so great because you find that all of the international and national level players in Olympic weightlifting, most of them were gymnasts or tumblers hmm. or cheerleaders or something from that, from that area. Um, those are the ones that are winning and kicking butt and taking names right now um, on a global level. So we are seeing crossovers that are coming from gymnastics to Olympic weightlifting Uh, The two organizations, I think, have been in talks trying to figure out how they can work Mm -hmm. together. But I would love to see uh, I'd love to see it go the other way. I'd love to see more gymnastics clubs incorporate some Olympic lifting movements in the beginning in order to teach explosiveness, speed, power. Um, You know, I think there's been such a. A, uh, a myth that these kids are going to bulk up and they're suddenly mm-hmm. not going to be able to do all of the skills they could right. do before their muscles are just going to explode, <laughs> but it doesn't happen that way. No. And that's one of the, the old school kind of myths that we're trying to bust. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I hope that it's going to become more mainstream and more accepted in the gymnastics culture. I know there are a lot of people really trying and pushing for it. Wow. I actually, I had no clue. I mean, I saw that, um, as reading through your LinkedIn profile a little bit that you're, you know, you're doing Olympic uh, weightlifting coaching and all that. I didn't really understand the magnitude of how it may become integrated into gymnastics now. So is it in a sense, is there an element of, I'm trying to understand even more where it's being brought into the gymnastics training environment, like part of the Olympic list, the movements are part of the practice routine or pre-practice or after practice. Take me inside of that a little bit. Yeah. Well, so our gym, for example, my gym has an Olympic weightlifting facility directly hooked right behind our gymnastics Mm -hmm. facility. So um, for us, we would take our team kids to the back and we would let them go through proper squat technique. Uh, We don't spend you know, a whole lot of time doing pulls off the floor, but Mm -hmm. we would 
teach things like RDLs, um, proper front squat, back squat. We would go through overhead squat technique, mm-hmm. um, very basic bar drills. So it's not like we're loading these kids up with a ton of pounds or right. kilos on their bar, but we're teaching them bar path movement. So eventually, you know, one day we can add on small weights and just, um, just to facilitate power and explosion and trying to figure out how to make our muscles move fast and what it feels like when we move slower and, and just mechanics of pushing and pulling and bracing and breathing properly and all of those things that we also need in gymnastics. Well, we're doing that in Olympic weightlifting with a barbell as well. So you don't need all the heavy weights. You can still get the same benefits from just using an empty five kilo bar. Um, But, you know, we're smart about it. So we take the little kids and, you know, seven years old, we'll give them a PVC pipe or we'll give Mm -hmm. them an unloaded kids barbell. Um, When they hit puberty, they can, their muscles are growing, things are happening faster. They can handle a couple kilos, you know, and um, we use it as conditioning and they, they like to challenge each other and see if they can out squat each other sometimes. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, who, who doesn't need good squat mechanics? I would say, of course, (laughs) I would say I would agree with that completely. Um, Yeah, because a lot of these things directly translate, you know, you have a good squat, well, I bet you you're going to have a nice, safe, stuck landing from a vault. Right. Um, Your joints are going to be protected better from all the impact that you're taking from tumbling um, and from dismounts off the beam. You know, it's it's not far fetched. They definitely relate. How do the parents feel about the introduction of Olympic weightlifting, even though it's, you know, there may be just be PVC pipe or just the bar and whole thing. Have you had any kickback? Or have you had to educate the parents on this? Lots of education. Lots of education. Um, It's definitely something that we fight. It's, uh, you know, lots of parents still feel like they don't want their daughter lifting. We still fight that. Um, It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you'd think we were a lot further along than we really are. You would think that. But but (laughs) not so much. Um, If you have a good relationship with, with your competitive parents in my opinion, it's an easy sell to the team parents, you know, the competitive kids, the ones that are in the gym 20, 30, 40 hours a week. Um, Well, not my kids. My kids don't practice 40 hours a week, but that's another podcast episode. So, but it's, um, no, it is a hard sell for just the average Joe walking off the street. Um, Weightlifting is not something that they would think of off the top of their head to get their child involved in, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of education on the benefits and telling them why this is important and here's why, here's how it's safe. Um, here are some myths that you may have heard. Well, here's some science and some data that tells us otherwise, and here's how we're going to protect your child. So, Right. Do, do you still have people that go, even if you tell them that stuff, they still kick back at it? Um, you know, we've been pretty lucky. We've yeah. been pretty lucky. We haven't really had that because, you know, it might just be the crowd that we have. If, if you're in our gym, chances are your parents were involved in athletics or have some reason to appreciate what we do there. So, you know, we assume that they trust the people that are coaching their children. So if they're still bucking after that, then it's more of a conversation about trust and, um, you know, we're not communicating correctly rather than the actual, in my opinion. So are you, do you experience 100%. I don't know any gym that has started any other way. 
completely that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That I is mean, that is one hundred percent what happens. And I just said that earlier today to somebody else. Wow. That oftentimes gyms are started under crisis. So they are either an, a parent who's mad, something someone has someone has wronged them in some way, what? and they know how to run a business and they can do this better. So that's mm. a scenario we often see. A coach okay. who's been wronged by their gym owner, so they're gonna go open their own gym. Um, very, I mean. Or, you know, something has happened where there's a legitimate crisis and someone has to split off, which which also happens. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think I know anyone personally who knew how to run a business before they opened a gym. <laughs> That's everyone, crazy. Everyone starts for the actual gymnastics or for the cheerleading or the dance or the CrossFit or for the sport but not yeah. for the business part. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I find that in what I do with people, we have, I mean, there's a lot of people who do that. They just kind of open it, but we're also working with a lot of very high end developers and they're willing, they have a lot of cash flow, and they're, so they're like, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. We're just going to hire this out. So a company like ours to actually get it run, get it set up, get it, you know, the six month timeline for opening the club, making sure that staffing, directing, all that stuff. But when we start dealing with, say, like boutique facilities, that's when we get what you're talking about. We get we get the people just like, yeah, I opened a spin studio. Yeah, it's it's interesting how people, they just start these businesses and then they kind of reverse engineer the business. They go, hey, I'm going to start this. I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm angry. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to start oh, this yeah. up, you know. It, and it's sad because, you know, you see these people open gyms and then the following May when competitive season is over, you see all their stuff in a Facebook group for sale. Oh and man. That's, that's where my heart breaks. And to be honest wow. with you, I would love to be somebody who can swoop in like Tabitha salon takeover. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. No, <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. Say, I could just run in and say, no, 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 don't quit. Let me help you. Let's figure yeah. this out. Learn. Let me help you figure this out. So you guys can stay open, but. That's yeah, really pretty- nice of you. So like you said, that's kind of the focus of your podcast, right? Is helping people, entrepreneurs get their business up going and in that space, generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, my, my podcast hasn't been geared towards the gym niche. Um, mm-hmm. It's been more broad. I have a lot of friends with a lot of different interests and kind of have my fingers yeah. in a lot of different pots. So I like to, you know, I had a friend to call. I used to train her. Uh, personal training and she called one day and said hey I think I want to open my own uh, what was it Uh, occupational therapy practice and I've been listening to podcasts so that's really cool you know we get people that listen that have interests in all facets of life and it's uh, cool just to be able to be sort of a person that people can turn and ask questions to you know yeah that's wonderful so what's next for you where do you see things going for you with, you know, your businesses, you just started this podcast. Sounds like it's going really well. So where, where are you, where are you going next? Great question. So we have a lot actually going on with our gym at the moment. So I don't know where our gym is headed next. Um, we, uh, we should have some decisions made very soon about either expanding or not. 
Um, however, personally for me, I have some other really fun side projects that I've been spending time on. So I have the podcast, which is just mm-hmm. fun, just yep. plain fun. Um, but I also started a women's weightlifting uh, singlet line. So I love it. <laughs> um, that's also been super fun. Like I feel guilty that it's been so fun, but. <laughs> Uh, I actually got to sketch out singlets, you know, because we compete and we have to wear these typically ugly, ends yeah. looking robotic, disgusting weightlifting singlets, right? So um, yeah. I feel like there should be more choice with cuter designs, with size inclusive models and just patterns for everyone. So I've been working on that and that's been really fun. So yeah, so I'm probably just going to do more of what I enjoy which is uh, Outlift, the podcast, and just seeing where this gym goes. Sounds uh, very interesting. Sounds like a lot of fun. I'm a big proponent of that, just continuing to build and enjoy the things that you're building in your life. I think that stuff's really important. So, well, Kimberly, it's uh, been a pleasure to have you on here. I um, just enjoy having these conversations and learning about what other people are up to. And it sounds like you know, there's a lot to learn about gymnastics. I had a lot of questions. I, <laughs> I think a lot of people, maybe you know, I don't know how many people, you know, see gymnastics on a regular basis, but certain I know a lot of parents that may be interested in getting their children into gymnastics. So it's good information to learn Absolutely. about what's coming, and especially the Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics. That is so fascinating to me, the cross-section of that. Yeah, it's um I love Olympic weightlifting and it's just not a sport that many people know about yet, but um you know with the crossover from CrossFit coming, we have a lot of new athletes in the sport and the thing another thing that gymnastics and weightlifting have in common is community. Yes. And we know that when we build community and when we find a community that we feel comfortable and happy in, uh that's what life is about, you know. So whatever sport you choose, we're just teaching kids how to be a part of a great community and build each other up. So that's what it's about. I couldn't say it any better than that. Well said. (laughs) Thank you for your time, Kimberly. And uh, we will definitely be in touch. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit. Even on evenings and weekends. You can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's how healthier happens together. Services vary by location. Prescriptions can be obtained at pharmacy of choice. Visit minuteclinic.com for details.